BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Welcome to a new year of With Wit. In weird podcast time, I'm still sitting here in 2022, but you are listening to this in 2023. So happy new year to you. That being said, I don't have the most updates for you, but we'll touch base next week on how the holidays went down, how our trip went down, how you guys are doing. I hope your year is really kicking off with some light. My guest that I'm sharing with you today is Dr. Ethan Cross. This was really one of my favorite episodes I've ever recorded. He is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind and an award-winning professor and best-selling author in the University of Michigan's top-rated psychology department and its Ross School of Business. He studies how the conversations people have with themselves impact their health, performance, decisions, and relationships. He is the author of the National bestseller Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. He explores the silent conversations we have with ourselves, interweaving groundbreaking behavioral and brain research from his own lab with real-world case studies. He warns that giving in to negative and disorienting self-talk, what he calls, quote, chatter, can tank our health, sink our moods, strain our social connections, and cause us to fold under pressure. It was so helpful. Here is Dr. Ethan Cross. I'm so excited to be chatting with you because I was literally having this conversation yesterday with my mom about the negative self-talk. And then I was looking at my schedule this morning and I was like, oh my God, this could not be coming at a better time right now. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad I can hopefully help. Moms, moms are sometimes really helpful for for self-talk and sometimes not. So maybe we could get into that. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's like moms are complicated because they love you so much and and you don't know a hundred percent if the, what they're saying to you is like coming from a certain angle, if it's like completely truthful. So it's helpful, obviously, to talk to an outsider who can tell you just like realistically what, what's real and what's not. But yeah, I'm ready to get into it. If you are, let's do it. Okay, cool. I would just like to start with hearing a little bit about your background and what prompted you to write Chatter. Sure. So 
My background is I'm a professor in the psychology department at business school here at the University of Michigan, but I'm a born and bred East Coaster. So I grew up in Brooklyn, went to school in Philadelphia, and then grad school at Columbia in New York City. And the way I got interested in psychology really briefly was I grew up with what I like to describe as an unconventional dad. And what I mean Mm. by that is beginning around the time I was about three years old, my dad used to tell me, hey, whenever something happens back then, it was, you know, probably someone took my toys or I got into a fight with him or my mom. But he would say, if you've got a problem, go inside, turn your attention inward, try to come up with a solution to your problem. So introspect, essentially. And, And that was a skill that really served me well throughout childhood and adolescence, I'd screw up, I'd get rejected or whatnot. And I never really got stuck because I would, all right, this happened. Why did it happen? I'd come up with a solution and I'd move on. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got to college and I took my first psychology class. And about halfway through the semester, we got to the topic of introspection. And what I learned was this ability helps a lot of people a lot of the time, like our ability to use our mind to solve problems this is what makes human beings so amazingly successful. We build vaccines and develop the internet and so forth and so on. But it also is a huge vulnerability for many people. Leads to things like overthinking, paralysis by analysis, depression, anxiety, you name it. Getting lost in thought, going down the rabbit hole of worry and rumination is this pervasive problem. And so that to me was just super interesting. I got, I I started geeking out about it. I remember like it'd be a Saturday night and we'd be like going out to the bars and my friends would be talking about the kinds of things you talk about when you're going out on a Saturday night. And I'd be like, Hey, did you you hear about what I learned about in class? And what do you think about this? And so (laughs) at some point they still, they, they stayed my friends, but at some point I thought to myself, well, if I'm thinking about this stuff and talking about it on a Saturday night, maybe I should get paid to do that. And so went to grad school. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the brief bio. What led me to write this book chatter, which is really a book about the story about what it even means to have an inner voice and how we can manage it using science was an experience in the classroom where I was teaching undergrads. And on the final day of this one class where the whole semester we, I taught them about the stuff I talk about in chatter. One student asks me, she says, why didn't anyone teach us about this earlier in life? Yeah. And I didn't have a good answer and that really bugged me. And mm-hmm. and Chatter, the book was one, one answer to that question. I, I love that. Something that you said before really hit me because it's like this introspection is obviously really important and this ability to like tune into ourselves and kind of work through our issues. How do you determine when this is something that you can just deal with on your own and when this is something that you maybe need outside help or like need to have a conversation about it. That's when I get confused. You know, if I'm like, if I'm in a thing with my husband and I'm upset about it and I start to like spiral a little bit in my head and then I calm myself down and I'm like, wait, okay, this isn't really that big of a deal. And I try to work through it. But then I'm like, but if I don't tell him how I feel, then the how do I get a solution? I think a lot of it has to do with whether the problem is continuing to bother you or Uh present itself. Yesterday, honestly, just to give you more context, it was more about just me feeling like I was doing more that day. And it's not something that I feel all the time. It's, It's like a general thing that I feel, but I don't know that he would necessarily agree. 
And I think that it would upset him. And, and then I would talk myself off the ledge and be like, okay, well, that's only today. It's not all the time. Well, you know, I think if this is something that is isolated and you're dealing with it in a way that allows you to move on and not have resentment and be happy, then, you know, what you've done is probably sufficient. But if you find yourself seething over this and it's interfering with other aspects of your relationship or leading you to not feel great for a prolonged period, that's a cue to then take the next step to have a conversation about it. More more generally, this question comes up a lot. Like, how do you know what healthy introspection is? Yeah, versus versus harmful. And there is a subjective piece to this, right? So, so first of all, one thing that I like to point out is sometimes introspection can be really helpful, but still still feel hard in the sense that when bad things happen coming up with a sense a way of understanding and making sense of something that maybe you screwed up and it's you're you're ruminating about it you could try to learn from that experience in a way that allows you to move on it's not like learning from that experience though is going to be similar to you reminiscing about the last wonderful vacation you had with your family right these are still difficult conversations that we often have with ourselves. But the idea is that there are ways of having those silent conversations that we all have with ourselves at times. You can do it more productively. If you find that something bad happens, you're trying to get over it, but you're just not making any progress whatsoever. Uh You're just Uh spinning. Like that's a clue that you need to actually start using tools to to fix the situation. And what, what I love about the science here is that We've learned that there are so many different tools that are out there. Many of them are really simple, easy to use. Some are things you could just do on your own. Others are are what I call people tools or ways of talking to other people in very specific ways. Sometimes like moms can be helpful or harmful. You want to know how to engage with them. And then there are even like environmental tools and something that both fills me with enormous hope. But also sometimes if I'm being a little less optimistic, I get a little, I, I, I get a little down about it, which is these tools, like they are there, they are waiting to be used. Like we all possess them, but we're never taught how to use them. I mean, like, did you grow up with your, your mom and dad asking you, Hey, what's your inner voice saying tonight at the dinner table? Like most people aren't having those conversations and I'm not necessarily suggesting that they should, but I do think we need to be teaching people about how to manage their emotions and their mind. Because I think the upshot is so tremendous. Yeah, it's so true. We will get into the tools because I think that's so important. But I think first what would be important is just to like define what chatter is and how is it different from self-talk or is it like the same thing? Great, great question. So let's let's kind of just give, give the nuts and bolts definitions here. So okay. first of all, when... Scientists use the term inner voice. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is our ability to silently use language to think about some aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. So I, I will get a call from a journalist every few months. Actually, it's not true. It's not a call. It's almost always an email nowadays, but you know what I mean? No, <laughs> no one one's calls just cold anymore. calling on anybody no, anymore. <laughs> no, no. It, life would be simpler, I think, if they did. I will get this inquiry from a journalist and they'll say, someone said that they don't have an inner voice. Is this possible? 
if your mind is working properly, it is not possible. And here's what I mean by that. So your inner voice is this, it's like a Swiss army knife of the human mind. It lets you do all these different things. And I'll just flag a, a couple of its cool features. So, so tell me if this ever happens to you, you go to the grocery store, you forget what you were supposed to buy and you stop, you think, oh, what, what's on my list? And then you rehearse it in your head. Peas, apples. Okay. So if you're rehearsing that list in your head or trying to memorize a phone number, which we don't really do anymore, but used to, that that's you using your inner voice. It's part of what we call our working memory system. Basic, basic feature of the mind lets you keep info active for short periods of time. We rely on our inner voice for that reason every day. You use your inner voice to simulate and plan. So before I give a presentation or have an important meeting, I'll often go over what I'm going to say in that in that presentation. I'll rehearse the talking points in my head. I'll, I'll often like, if I'm, if I'm traveling somewhere to give a talk, I'll take a walk around the hotel. And I'm not saying anything out loud, but in my head, I'm going over verbatim everything I'm going to say during that presentation. That's my inner voice. I like to exercise each morning. When I do, I'm often being assaulted by, it feels like I'm being assaulted by the instructors who are telling me to do very painful things. I'm saying all sorts of mean things back to them. But internally in my head, you know, like they're telling me to run faster, row harder. And I'm saying, well, why don't you try this? Right. Why don't you shut the bleep up? Right. (laughs) You know, that's, that's in my head. Mm -hmm. We use our inner voice to motivate ourselves. Come on, three more sets. You got this. Yeah. You got Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. That's your inner voice. And then finally, we use our inner voice to tell stories. Mm -hmm. Things happen. We don't understand. We, we try to make sense of them. We come up with a story to explain who we are and we use our inner voice to do that. So your inner voice is really central to your developing sense of identity. So those are all the beautiful things your inner voice does for you. You don't want to live life without one. The problem is that because this tool is so useful, when we are experiencing intense stress or just regular old stress, we often, we reflexively try to reach for it. All right. I am um, this, this deal didn't turn out. Why did that happen? Why did they say that? What if this happens? We, we engage the inner voice, but rather than coming up with this, these very clean stories or encouraging sources of advice that help us persevere, we end up just looping. We focus really narrowly on the emotional aspects of the problem. Like, oh my God, they said this, I, you know, he did that, she did that. And, and we just keep turning the problem over and over in our mind without making any progress. That's the, that's the dark side of the inner voice, which I call chatter. And I think it is one of the big problems we face as a species because we know it, it makes it hard for us to think and perform. It creates friction in our relationships and it damages our health. And so, so understanding how to free your inner voice up so it doesn't go into the chatter territory is, is I think, a huge issue. That, yeah, that makes so much sense because I think the chatter is almost like the story that you're telling yourself that may or may not even be true. So then your, totally. next, your next step, your next action item may be very reactionary based on what you think may be true, but it's not necessarily true. It's just coming from this chatter in your brain, right? It's almost like it, it chatter affects us negatively in so many different ways. So, mm-hmm. so first of all, it can distort reality. Like when we are, for example, catastrophizing, we're thinking of the worst case scenarios or blowing things out of proportion with reality mm-hmm. that can lead us to potentially do things that we might regret. If you've ever had the experience of trying to read a couple of pages in a book or a magazine when you're worried about something mm-hmm. and 
you don't remember anything you've yeah, read. Right. Like that's that's how chatter can undermine our our performance because uh-huh. we only have so much attention that we can focus at use to focus at any moment in time. If all of that attention is consumed by the chatter, it doesn't leave anything over to to do our jobs, to be good listeners to our loved ones. So that's not good. And so there're lots of different ways that it could really harm us. That's kind of what I wanted to get into next is like how can these negative effects of chatter like extend beyond work or into our relationships and even our overall health? Like it feels like it connects to so much. Totally. So, I, you know, I think the negative effects, you could put them in three buckets, like okay. the three primary domains that affects us. Mm-hmm. One way is thinking and performance. So okay. number one, it makes it really hard for us to, to, to focus because it mm-hmm. consumes our attention. So we talked about that. Mm-hmm. The other thing it can do is it can lead to something called paralysis by analysis. And here mm-hmm. the idea is we're, we're focusing we're overthinking things to the point where we can't do very basic things that we can usually do without thinking. And so one great, though tragic example of this was Simone Biles in the last Olympics, which mm-hmm. was this remarkable story because Simone Biles is the greatest female gymnast of all time. Right. And what happened to her during the last summer Olympics is she ended up dropping out of the Olympics, mm-hmm. like the most prestigious event in her sport mm-hmm. because of what she called, I think she called it the waggles, which other people call the yips or no, she called it the twisties. Other mm-hmm. athletes call it the waggles. Mm-hmm. But the idea is Simone Biles, because she's practiced doing her gymnastic routine so many times, she's typically able to do those routines without even thinking. Right. Mm-hmm. She just gets there. She runs, spins a gazillion times and twists and lands perfectly. Mm-hmm. What she started to do, though, was she started to think about the specific elements of her routine. Am I running fast enough? Am I twisting quickly enough? And once you start thinking about the pieces of individual behaviors, mm-hmm. that whole complex automatic behavior unravels. So if I'm giving a presentation and I'm on stage, there are actually lots of things that I'm doing, right? I'm mm-hmm. I'm pacing, I'm using my hands, I'm remembering to smile, I'm varying my vocal tone. And I've learned how to do all of those things through thousands and thousands of hours of practice. And mm-hmm. I don't think about them. Mm-hmm. If I start getting nervous about, hmm, am I doing a good job here? And I start experiencing chatter about it. Mm-hmm. What the chatter leads me to do is it starts breaking down every element of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And once you start doing that, the whole performance unravels. So that's another way chatter sinks us. If we talk about our relationships, one way that chatter can undermine us is when we experience chatter, we're often highly motivated to share it with other people. And what I mean by that is, is to talk about it. And yeah. we'll, maybe we'll get to later why we, why we feel that way. Yeah. But one of the problems with talking to other people about your chatter is if you're having a conversation that isn't necessarily helping you, you're still experiencing that chatter. So you still want to keep talking about it. And so you right. keep talking about it over and over and over again. And, and this is this is one of the really sad social consequences of chatter. We end up pushing away people who genuinely care about us because there's only so much they can endure before you know we we pull them down. Has this ever happened to you? Have there ever been like friends that you don't name names, but where where this has occurred? Yeah, I, I'm thinking this even in myself. It's a it's an issue that I struggle with all the time. Like I have this negative opinion of myself that I'm like socially awkward. Okay. So I 
I get a lot of social anxiety like leading up to whether it's an event or whatever it is where I'm going to be around people, even whether it's people that I'm comfortable with or not, it doesn't matter who they are. It's just like I always feel going into something, even if I'm super close with them, I'm thinking about like, oh my God, am I going to be awkward? Are they going to think I'm awkward? And then I go into the event and I feel like, I'm I'm all I'm being is awkward because I've like, I don't know, almost convinced myself that that's who I am. And then I leave being like, oh, my God, I am exactly who I thought I was, even though I know that I'm capable of being not awkward and holding a nice conversation. Yeah, that that's a great example. Okay. First of all, I could tell you, you're, you are not socially awkward based on this, <laughs> this conversation. Very, very smooth. So there's no need for that. But, but yeah, that's, that's part of, I mean, that, that describes a, a, a pretty canonical chatter experience where uh-huh. the chatter is like, not only is it causing you distress, but it's then almost leading to a self-fulfilling prophecy where right. you're, you're experiencing things you feared about, which then give you more evidence to to back up the chatter. Exactly. And that's the kind of cycle we want to, we want to give people tools to break that cycle and prevent it mm-hmm. from even happening. And, um, and then it's like, the more I talk about it, because I talk about it with my husband a lot, the more I talk about it and the more I talk about my lack of confidence the more than both myself and my husband views that of me. And then I've almost like convinced my husband that I'm this person that I'm not. And then when I don't want him to view me as that, I get really frustrated because I'm like, I'm no, I'm really not like that. But he's like, but you talk about being like that all the time. So I'm just kind of confirming what you say. He's like, I don't even think that you're like that. Or maybe you have bouts of that because you're in a, an, an interesting position. But like, yeah, it definitely it, it overlaps into my relationships because it's like all of a sudden I believe that I'm this way. And so my partner does, too. Well, and so so this is one way that chatter can create friction in relationships. But there's another element here that maybe we'll come back to when we talk about how to both be a good chatter advisor to someone else and how to how to know who to talk to about these things, because I think there is a dynamic here where you ideally want to talk about your chatter to to folks who know how to help you work through it. And that's another skill. And it's actually pretty simple. It's not that complicated, but again, we're not taught it. So it can be, it can be kind of tricky. So yes, that's one way that chatter can, can interfere with relationships. The other thing it can do is it can lead us to to like take our frustrations out on our loved ones. And uh-huh. this is what we, we call this displacing our emotions. And uh-huh. so the idea here is like uh, something you know, like really stressful happened to me at work. I'm experiencing chatter about it at home. My innocent, loving eight-year-old daughter comes into my home office and like, daddy, daddy, I want to tell you what happened today. And I say, well, hold on. I got to finish this email. She, of course, ignores that and then steamrolls over there. I really want to tell you what happened. And then I like bang on the desk and I say, I told you I need to finish this email. Now I finish, you know, and then she Mm -hmm. feels bad and I feel Mm -hmm. bad. So that's me taking out my frustration on people that I love. And that's also not a good thing. The the last way that chatter can sink us and and this, you know, some people find this really scary and it's, it is, I think, is Yes, chatter can lead us to like get stuck in a negative mood for a, a chronic period of time. So mm-hmm. it can contribute to things like anxiety and depression. 
not we're not talking necessarily about clinical forms mm-hmm. of those conditions, mm-hmm. but but it's relevant there too. But it can also it also helps explain how stress gets under the skin to really harm us physically. So because what happens when we experience chatter is our body revs up to try mm-hmm. to manage it. Mm-hmm. We experience a kind of fight or flight response, which which actually is useful. Like if you if there's some threat that you need to deal with, it's really good that you have this biological reaction that puts you in a position to deal with that stressor. That's not a bad thing. What's bad is when your stress response gets activated and then it remains chronically activated over time. And that's exactly what chatter does because we experience something stressful in the world. We don't leave it behind. We then continue to replay it over and over and over again in our heads. And that keeps that reaction active in ways that predict bad things like cardiovascular disease and inflammation and all sorts of other physical boogeymen, so to speak. So, so, you know, we're talking about work, performance, relationships, and health. I think these are the domains that many of us like care the most about and chatter can impact them all, which really, I think frames why figuring out how to address this is such an important issue. It's so true. So I guess that leads me into my next question, which is like, I don't know if you have a top five or a top few, but just like tools that you can share with us to help combat this when we become aware that this is happening. So first of all, a couple of disclaimers I want to give so so I don't forget. There's no single magic pill. So if someone tells you there's one thing that everyone can do to manage their chatter, mm-hmm. like you should be really suspect because mm-hmm. I've been studying this stuff for 20 years, doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be something that bums people out because what we've learned is that there are multiple tools and that different people like benefit from using different combinations of those tools. And so, so I actually think it's, it's like our chatter is so unique. That in some ways it's 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 almost far fetched to think that there'd be one thing that could help everyone, but you don't have to restrict yourself. So in in my book I talk about like close to thirty different things. So so that was one piece. Let me just give you the like let me give you like the five or six that that I personally rely on just to just to kind of give you a sense of the train. So first I'll tell you about some things I do on my own. Then I'll talk to you about some people tools and environmental tools I use. Things I do on my own. The first thing I do is something called distanced self-talk. So I actually change the way that I talk to myself. Usually when I think about my circumstances, I, I do it in the first person, you know, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? When I'm struggling for chatter, what I will do is I will try to work through the problem using my own name and the second person pronoun you. Oh, interesting. Why are you doing this? What Uh should you do? What we've learned is that this provides a really useful tool for shifting our perspective. So we know that it's much easier for us to give advice to other people than it is for us to give advice to ourselves. A hundred percent. I'm always like, I would know exactly what to say to someone. You're you're so right. Like that simple reframing can really like give you a completely new perspective. Exactly. Like I'm guessing when you say things to yourself, that you would never dream of saying to your your best friends, let alone even your enemies. You probably no. say things to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And so here's what I find fascinating. So we have we've evolved to have a tool that really very effortlessly changes the way we think about ourselves. It gets us to think about ourselves like we're giving advice to someone else. 
and it involves using your name and the word you. These were those like names and pronouns like you, those are parts of speech that we almost exclusively use when we think about and address other people. So the link in your head between the word you as an example and thinking about another person is super strong. And so the idea is when you use your own name to try to work through a problem, it's putting you in this advice giving mode. You're now coaching your best friend and that makes it much easier for us to give ourselves sound advice. Right. So that's the first, that's the first right. thing I'll do. All right, Ethan, how are you going to manage a situation? And it, 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 it's a very, like, I can sense the shift when I change my language. The second thing I'll do is something called mental time travel. I, I sometimes call this my 2 a.m. chatter strategy <laughs> because like every four to six weeks, I will wake up at 2 a.m and start having some chatter. I don't know if this ever happens to you. In the middle of the night, it's always when our brains are on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not it's not pleasant. Like, what no. do you do when that happens? And there's nowhere so, to go and there's no one to talk to. And there's, yeah, you're just stuck with yourself, which is, I guess, if you learn the tools, isn't such a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so here, here's, here's, here's what you could do. Yeah. It's super, super simple. And again, science-based. I think, how am I going to feel about this tomorrow morning or next week or next month? No matter how bad the chatter is at 2 a.m., and it often is really bad, like the form it usually takes is something bad happens, mm -hmm. I lose my family, I go to jail, I die, like all right. within six seconds. Right. Like, not good, right? <laughs> right. I know because I've lived a, on this planet for like 42 years that that doesn't happen, right? So, so I know that I always feel better about the problem the next morning when my brain is fully activated. Right. And, and even if I don't feel like a much, much better about it the next morning, I do the next week or the next month or the next year. When we're experiencing chatter, we zoom in so narrowly on the problem, we lose that perspective. And committing yourself to making that small shift to jump into that mental time travel machine and think about how you're going to feel about yourself, this experience in the future, that does something really powerful for a chatter-filled mind. It, it gives that person hope. Mm -hmm. And hope is a, is a kind of antidote to chatter. So, so that's one way that you could mentally time travel, go into the future. You could also go into the past, right? So when I was thinking, of, when I was, you know, COVID, stress, kids at home, work is tough. I would think about, well, we've been through these kinds of things before. Let's think about like, the Spanish flu of 1918. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Things were much worse then. We got through it. We'll get through this now. Or if I've got a, an anxiety-provoking, difficult interaction coming up, I could think about, well, I dealt with this before two years ago. I got through this. I could get through this now. So so we're, we're being flexible here in how we think about our circumstances, trying to broaden our perspective so that we see we find some, some reasons to be hopeful. I, I will say that one thing that people might want to think about with respect to this mental time travel is it kind of contradicts this idea that we should always be in the moment that is very popular nowadays. And there's huge value, I think, that can come from being present and focusing on your breath. But you, you wouldn't want to always be in the moment because one of the neat things about the human mind is that we can like travel in time. And I think this is one one benefit of it. So, so that's mental time travel. Do you ever do that when you're, when you're experiencing chatter? Yeah. I was just going to say, I actually did it to myself yesterday when I was having this like little spiral in my brain. And I was like, 
Whitney, this isn't going to be that big of a deal. And even if you did want to talk to Timmy about it, you know that you would work through it. And like, you know that this, in the context of everything, you know that you will work through all this stuff. And I also think it helps for me. Sometimes I'm like, okay, this may be how I'm feeling right now, but the same for you. Like in the morning, I know that I'm likely going to feel a lot different and a little bit lighter and have like a clearer head to come up with solutions. But also, yeah, I'll think about, okay, in the past, I dealt with these things before. Like 10 years ago, my father passed away. And so I use that a lot. And I'm like, if I could get through that, which is, you know, obviously one of the worst things that could happen to you is losing a family member, then I can get through anything. And so I'll, for sure, like I tell myself, like, look, Whitney, you've bounced back from this. You can do this again. And you may not have the answers right now, but like they will come to you. So, and what's interesting, like I'm listening to you say that you're actually using your name and you throughout when you're, when you're talking about oh, that. Oh, interesting. I wonder you're if like, I do that often or if I'm just doing that on this podcast. <laughs> well, so, so, so that, that's actually like, I, so I bet you do it often. We uh-huh. have like, observations of everyone like from LeBron James to Jennifer Lawrence to Malala Yousafzai and way back Julius Caesar doing this to deal with stress. What I find really fascinating about these tools and also gives me hope is a lot of us stumble on these tools or use them without even knowing it. Like we just kind of slide into a way of thinking about it that does make us feel a little bit better. But we're, we're not being very deliberate about it. And one of the, the real ways in which I think we can help folks is by putting these tools on their radar. So you don't have to just wait to slide into a tool for it to benefit uh-huh. you. Like I know the moment I detect chatter brewing, I immediately launch into a few different tools with like, cause I have a specific, I know the tools and I know like I have a plan to use them. That saves me a whole lot of time where I'm not in chatter because I've nipped it before it can escalate. And so I think that's one of the things we want to work towards. But should I should I tell you about a couple other tools? Yes, that, please. That is- no, I think okay. the tools are really the most helpful. I mean, one, yes, of course, it's important to define everything, but the tools are really like the actionable items that I think everyone here listening probably really wants to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Okay. So when we are experiencing chatter, we often feel like our thoughts are taken over, our thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. We're not in the driver's seat anymore. And that's unsettling to people because all human beings are control freaks. Like we, we want to know that the world is predictable and orderly. What we have learned is that you can, you can compensate for feeling like you don't have control over your thoughts and feelings by exerting control around you. How do you do that? Super simple tidy up, create order, organize. I, I will admit I am, I, I, I think of myself as a very clean human being, but in terms of organization, if my wife were here and you asked her what her biggest pet peeve living with me has been for several years, it is, it is the trail of clothing that goes from the shower to the closet to wherever else I am, right? It's, it's like the dishes that may mount which which drives her nuts. What I what I've noticed and this was true even before I was aware of the science is whenever I I find myself experiencing ch- chatter, I will reflexively start putting things away. I will I will make piles, I will fold up my clothing, put it nicely away. Sometimes if it's really bad, 
I will even masochistically go into my kids' rooms and start putting their stuff away. It, it feels nice. And, and what's happening here is this has been studied. It's called people looking for compensatory control. You're trying to compensate for the fact that you don't feel in control over your life right now by exerting control somewhere around you. And that can really turn the volume down on your chatter as well, cleaning, organizing. So, so that's, that's another tool that's really easy. And, you know, the upshot is it can have some, some social benefits too. So my wife is often much happier when I do that kind of stuff. (laughs) So, so you can do that. Let's switch to people tools because I think that there's real value here for folks, because I think many of us grow up and we hear the message that you don't want to keep your emotions inside. It's really important to let it out, express, vent your feelings. Mm-hmm. Have you have you heard this growing up? I haven't. I mean, I've heard about, yeah, like releasing it. And my mom would always say to me, like, if you don't let me know where it hurts, I can't help you. Like that kind of chat. Yeah. 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 So that, and that's what we're talking about. Yeah. What's really interesting about that directive is that there's been a lot of research on the consequences of of venting your emotions. And what we've learned is venting your emotions to someone else. So just kind of rehashing what you're feeling and and what happened to you. This can be really good for strengthening the friendship and relational bonds between people. Like it is good to know that there are other people in this world who are willing to take the time and listen to what I'm going through. The problem with venting is if all you do in the conversation is vent, you leave that conversation. You feel really good about the person you've just chatted with, but you still are upset about the problem because you haven't talked about it in a way that ultimately helps you work through it. And so, so research shows that venting actually keeps the problems active and sometimes even makes them worse. So if you don't vent, if not venting, what's the solution? What you want to do in a conversation is two things. You want to find someone who First, does take the time to to listen and hear you out. It is important to connect with the with someone emotionally to feel validated and really heard. But at a certain point in that conversation, the person you're talking to, they ideally start start helping you look at that bigger picture. Right, they're in an ideal position to help you work through the situation because it's not happening to them. They've got the perspective, and so ideally, they start pushing you in that direction to help give you a sense of closure, help you problem solve and so forth and so on. So that's really the art to being a good chatter advisor, listening, but then also taking the time to work with the person. Hey, so how have you dealt with this in the past? Or I've been in this situation. Here's what worked for me to do those kinds of more cognitive things to ultimately help the person feel better. And so what I like to tell people is like, there are two take-home points here from this work. The first is if you're the one experiencing chatter, think really carefully about who you go to for support. There's some people that like, I'm super close to them. I I love them. They love me. DNA determines that that is the case. If you know what I mean, like I'm very closely related to these people and I never talk to them about my chatter because I know they want to help me, but their, their version of helping is just to allow me to vent. And ultimately that doesn't really help. So instead what I do is I, I, I have like it sounds cheesy, but I have like this board of chatter advisors. There are like three or four people I can go to, to talk about personal problems, five or six work ones. And they're really skilled at doing both of these things. Uh And they are an invaluable resource. 
Yeah, I think that's so important. Know the right people to really talk to that are not going to come from a from a judgmental place. I listened to Brené Brown a little bit and she has this tool of obviously when you're thinking something to especially when it comes to your significant other to start the conversation by like, I'm telling myself this story that you're annoyed with me. Right. And so then you're, it comes from a place of like, okay, I'm, I'm admitting that this may just be like a story in my head. And like, can you confirm or deny? Like, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I think that's a great frame and it, it can, it can like disarm the, the defensiveness that can sometimes come if you, if you frame the conversation in the wrong terms, like yeah. it, it's so actually this is, this is a great segue into like one other tool. And it's, a, and I think it's an especially useful tool for parents. So do, do you have, do you have kids? I have a five-year-old and okay. I, he also s- says out loud, like, I'm so stupid or I'm, I'm the stupidest kid in my class, or I'm, you know, things I'm, I'm not a good kid. Like I'm on the naughty list for for Christmas, that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, how do I get him to not say these things about himself? Yeah. So that's, well, we definitely want to correct that kind of stuff. And yeah. The fact that you're aware of it, I think is, is wonderful and yeah. that you're sensitive to it. So when it, when it, you know, I think to address that question with kids, if you find that they are, um, you know, engaging in a kind of self-disparaging self-talk, I think, mm-hmm. you know, trying to interrogate like, why, what, what basis do they have for making those statements to point out that they're very likely not based in fact, mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to teach them how to reframe things mm-hmm. can be really important. Asking them to, you know, what would you say to your buddy, like your best friend, like mm-hmm. that can be a, an interesting tool to use with them too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that I think is really relevant for parents with kids is when do you actually intervene to give them support mm-hmm. when they are struggling? And I think this is more relevant to, to people who have older kids. Mm-hmm. For example, I've got two daughters. One of them is 12 going on 21. Oh my God. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like, you know, I, I can often see the chatter, right? Yeah. It's visible. I could see it like yeah. boys and girls and all sorts of, you know, what, I mean, you that's know what I'm talking about. Insane. That's like the hardest phase of life. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. For, 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 for tweens and their parents. Yeah. And so, and so it can be, you know, it, it can be challenging because I, I, you know, this is the stuff I, I, I know pretty well mm-hmm. and it can sometimes hurt to see your child struggling. Of course. And so what we often do, and this, I've been guilty of this myself and I should know better is sometimes we will volunteer to give advice and support mm-hmm. even with compassion. So this happened to me several months ago. My, my daughter was upset about something. We we're at dinner on vacation. And I'm like, I started launching into some, you know, support. So mm-hmm. I, I totally hear you. Have you ever thought about, you know, doing this and, instantly I get like death eyes looking at me and followed by, you know, getting her mom to mom, he's bothering me. And then I'm like, no one talks to me at dinner. So (laughs) what's happened there is I have threatened my daughter's sense of autonomy Mm. her sense of self-efficacy, this idea that she is capable of handling her own shit, which is something that is very, very important to many of us. Mm-hmm. And like when you volunteer advice, when it's not asked for, that's the potential consequence. Right. So the good news is that you can still help your kids or partners 
in if they don't actually explicitly ask you for help. And the way to do it is to do something we call invisible support. Okay. And what you want to do with invisible support is try to get the person the the help they need, but without shining a spotlight on the fact that you're doing it. And there are okay. lots and lots of different ways you could do this. So if my wife is is having chatter, really stressful couple of days, there are simple things I could do. Like I can pick up the dry cleaning and take care of the groceries and dinner. Right. And I but and I do it without being asked. And I okay. don't importantly at dinner like show her a, a receipt for all that I've done and ask right. for brownie points. Right? right. I'm just like I'm just doing things to ease her burden. Yeah. Or if someone on my team is really struggling with their presentation skills, rather than pulling them aside and say, Hey, you really need to up your game. This isn't this isn't quite where it needs to be. Before yeah. I get to that stage, I might have a team meeting where we we share out best practices. Hey, here's some stuff I learned, or we watch a talk about this. So I'm getting the person information, but I'm not shining a spotlight on the fact that they need it. Right. But the last, the last place for invisible support that I would say, and this is particularly relevant in families would be affectionate touch, which, you know, if you talk about that in the wrong context, it can get you in trouble. So being very clear, I'm not talking about haphazard, you know, affectionate touching no, at the workplace. Right, right. But but I'm talking about yeah. like if my daughters, like I see them working in the kitchen table, like I come over and I I, you know, I, I do like a circular hug on their back. Yeah. Or, you know, tickling your kids, yeah. and snuggling. Touch is one of the most primitive tools we have yeah. for managing our emotions. It yeah. releases stress fighting chemicals. It reminds us at a conscious level that we're loved. And so I would, I would really encourage that too. Yeah. I mean, that's sometimes all I think I need, you know, cause when I'm, when I'm having chatter, a lot of the times it's like, you can see it's come up in this conversation. So it's usually about like, is my husband annoyed with me or because of my lack of confidence? Like that's really the biggest issue in our relationship is that he just wants me to be more confident. And sometimes I realize like if he just gives me a hug or if he holds my hand while we're watching something or he, I can tell that he's being, you know, affectionate, then that in and of itself, one answers my question and also just makes me feel like loved and, and supported and confident. So I will be reporting this back to my husband <laughs> after. And, and, yeah. and you know, it's re- it's really easy yeah. to do. And like yeah. I, again, like just being aware of this stuff mm-hmm. is is I think so important because there's nothing that we have talked about that's really effortful. Like these no. are simple things totally. that you know, you don't I mean, like there are more effortful tools that I talk about in my book, but but these these are just simple things you could do on the fly. Right. And I think that's why they're they're so valuable. This has been so amazing, honestly. Tell everybody where they can find your book, Chatter, and learn more about you. You can find find the book wherever books are sold. And if you want to learn more about me and the book, you could go to www.ethancrosswithak.com. And there's lots of info there and links and downloads and stuff. Okay, amazing. Well, honestly, again, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you very much. Look forward to staying in touch. And yeah, good luck with everything. You too. Thanks so much.
Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.